Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Mom, do yourself a favor. Don't try to be your child's best friend. Try to be your child's mother. Try to be your child's example. Don't just tell them what to do. Show them what to do. Don't just tell them they need to pray. Show them how to pray. Don't just tell them church is important. Take them to church and show them how to worship God. Walk with God. Show your children how a woman of worth ought to live their life for Jesus Christ. God bless you today. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. While you're turning there, let me just kind of set up the story here a little bit. In chapter 4, there's three different, three different kind of stories that are going along here in, in chapter 4 um, with Elisha. And it starts off, Elisha helps this widowed mother uh, who's about ready to lose everything, including her two sons to a debtor's prison and it, it tells a story and that is the story of where Elisha uh, tells her to go grab all the jars and bring them into her house and begin to pour oil and the oil just continues to flow until every jar is filled and of course then she sells the oil and just, uh, makes a way for her to get out of debt and uh, save her family from that point then Elisha goes on to the next story and it's yet again another a woman, a wife, who's not yet a mother at this point, and um, but he travels through Shunem, and this woman constrains him or compels him, invites him to come have bread with them at their meal, and uh, I guess you know she had an affinity for the man of God or respect for the man of God. Just you know, there are some out there that are just really, really good at at. Uh, hospitality and she invited him to come in what turned into a habit uh, became a regular stop on Elisha's journeys and every time he would come through there then he would stop in and have a meal so much so that the the lady told her husband said hey we could do a little bit better than this instead of just giving him a meal why don't we build a, a spare room so that when he comes he has a place to stay he can go in have some privacy and and this will really guarantee that he he comes here all the time, and so that's what they did. And Elisha feels indebted, and so he asked his servant, he said, I wonder if there's something that we could do for her. And uh, Gehazi, the servant, says, well, you know, she doesn't have a child. She has no children, and her husband is elderly, so it doesn't look like she's probably ever going to have a child. And Elisha said, aha, I know what we'll do. Calls in the woman, he prophesies over her, says about this time next year you're going to be with, have a child. And sure enough, that's what happened. And that leads us up to the text that we're in today. 2 Kings 4, 17 through 20. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it, it fell on a day and that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to the lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and died. Happy Mother's Day. 
If that was the end of the story, I, I would not have used this for Mother's Day. But the story does not end with the death of this child, the death of this promise, the death of this prophecy. There's more to this, this story. And I just want to take the next 30 minutes, if you'll allow me to, and, and preach a mother's faith. A mother's faith. Would you put your Bibles down just very quickly and let's say a word of prayer over the message today. Lord God, we come to you right now, Lord, understanding that your word is such a powerful thing. God, I know that today, Jesus, that there are many ladies that are in this place today, many mothers, God, that have children that are in here, children that, that they worry about, children that they pray over. I pray that today, by the end of this service, that they would have an understanding of the power that is in their prayer. God, and I hang on to their faith with everything that they have in Jesus' name. And would you say amen? God bless you, you may be seated today. Really, the last verse that I just mentioned is a very tragic way to uh, begin a message, uh, and that's why I want to kind of move forward very rapidly, because I don't want to stay there very long. But in four short verses that I read to you today, uh, there's, there's a lot that takes place there. You want to talk about getting the cliff notes, uh, it took the cliff notes and, and uh, combined uh, a lot of things that happened over several years right down into just a few short verses that you could read in a matter of, of seconds. And you see in this scripture where there is a promise, a fulfillment of a prophecy of a birth of a child that comes true to a woman who desperately desired a baby. Now the Bible never says that I can read anywhere where she ever asked for the baby herself or she ever complained about her, she ever even mentioned it. It was just it was just the servant of Elisha that knew something. He maybe had uh, saw her weep or maybe he had uh, seen or heard or just understood her a little bit. For whatever reason, she never mentioned that she would like a child. And so we see the fulfillment of this child come true and a new family is created and years have gone by and daddy at this point has his son out in the field with him, teaching him how to uh, work hard, teaching him how to make a living. He's following in father's footsteps and they're out in the field and it's harvest time because the Bible says that the reapers were out there. They were bringing in the grains, whatever it was that was planted in that field. And, and here we have the son out with the father when all of a sudden you find the, the scripture relaying to us that the son begins to complain that his head is hurting. Now, I know I'm not the only one here that's ever used that excuse to get out of working. Dad, I, I know you, you need me out there crawling underneath the car and everything greasy and oily and, and dirty, and I know that, that uh, you want me to out here in the yard with you and helping you rake or helping you mow, but Dad, my head hurts. I, I, I think I better go in and lay down for at least a solid 90 seconds before I get up and slip out the front door and go play with my friend someplace. And so I, I can't really blame the father. The father's out working. He, he, he's doing what most of us dads do. We're not known for our compassion. Mothers are known for compassion. Thank God for my mother because I, I would have never got compassion from my father. I, it just My mother would, would uh, bring me in when I was young and hold me close and 
kiss where I had hurt and uh, and take good care of me. My dad, he was just the opposite of that. You know, like, just get out there and go play. You know, you're not that hurt. You're not, it's not going to kill you. You know, just go out there and get back to work. You know, dad was the one that when I broke my wrist and the doctor said, hey, you know, and it was broken and it was swollen and I was hurting and, and, and I was sweating. I was hurting so bad and I wasn't a young boy at this time. I was 17 years old at this time and, and my, my arm was all mangled a different way and they sent me to a specialist in order to set it and the doctor said here here's what the deal is he said it's going to hurt when we set this now we can put you under or we can just set it and I looked at my dad I'm like would you mind if if we you know I'm hurting already this is going to be bad you know and I wasn't looking forward to the pain and my dad was thinking that's going to cost more time and more money and let's just get this over with I got to get home and get things to do so you know what old Doug did old Doug went in and said okay do what you got to do and man they they cranked that thing around and reset it and I screamed like I was two years old again even though I was 17 and and that's what fathers are known for just get back up you got to keep moving you got you're going to be a man one of these days but mom was compassionate Mom showed compassion. The father said, if your head's hurting, son, he called one of his workers and said, get him home, take him home to his mother. He's of no use out here in the field to us. I don't know, maybe he believed him, maybe he thought it was an excuse, I really don't know. But the, the fact is, is that the father sent the son home to his mother. But the next uh, fact in that story is the son had a legitimate problem, and by noon of that same day, that son had crawled up into his mother's lap and had died right there in her arms. Second Kings 4 and 8, it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. She constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned thither in to eat. Now the writer here calls her a great woman. Not just a woman, not just a woman of good reputation. He calls her a great woman. And so I asked myself a question, what was it that made her great? What is it that makes a woman separated from the rest of the crowd and stand alone, whereas people stand up and call her a great woman? Could it have been her hospitality? Maybe that was part of it because she was obviously a caring person. She would have never offered the man of God to stop in with her family when he was passing through had she had not been a woman of hospitality. Uh, she displayed obvious great self-control as she went through the tough spots in her life. You don't ever see where it's recorded in the Word of God that she wears her burden around like a badge, but no, she carries her burden with dignity. She never asked God to give her this son or give her this child. It was the servant of Elisha that asked Elisha, why don't we, if you want to give her something that she really desires, why don't we, you give her a child? Her character was intact. It was strong. And it's a good thing because she was going to have to go through an ultimate test of her faith before it was over with. I don't believe it was the fact that she was hospitable or caring. I don't believe it was the fact that, that, uh, that she was a woman of good reputation. I believe all those things played into it. But I believe that what made her a great woman was the fact that she was a woman of faith. 
that she had great faith because there's going to be times when everything is going good. There's going to be days when everything is good and the children are all fine. The, 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 the house is put together. The car is running. Everything, the job is perfect. Everything is going to be just fine. But there are also going to be time in every woman, every mother's life where your faith will be put to the test. And it's at that point that you're going to find out whether you're just the average woman of God or if you're a great woman of faith. And I believe that here in our midst today that there are some ladies that are anything but average, but you are great women because you have great faith and you know how to pray for your children and pray for your church and pray for your pastor and pray for your family. That's not average. That is great. Yes. The Bible says when Elisha would come by that it was a joyous time. When the child was born, verse 17 says it was a joyous time. But there was coming a day that was not going to be pleasant. There was a day that was coming where she was going to be holding that child. He was a lot bigger now. We don't really know how old he was at this point, but the Bible does tell us that he grew, that, that he was older. He was not just a little baby anymore, but I believe when she held that lifeless body in her hands, she didn't see the, the 5 or 6 or 12 or 13-year-old, whatever age he was, but I believe that she still saw that little baby's face when she was holding it. You can never get past that in that mother's love and she looked at that child and she saw the death of not just her child but she saw the death of her promise the boy's in the field he says my head my head mothers if I could say something to you today the adversary of your child's soul would like to get in their head It would like to affect the way that they think. It would like to affect the way that uh, who they're influenced by. There's so much garbage in this world that it, it promotes itself and it is not embarrassed about what it is or what it promotes. It, it wants your children. If we do not take a stand and we don't fight, for our children, if we don't pray for our children, if we don't have faith for our children, the world will come in and it will snatch them away. Amen. That's why our mothers must have faith. That's why our women must be women of faith. Prayer warriors that will raise up a standard. Amen. Don't you let the school have more influence on your children than your prayers do. Don't you let their friends have more influence on their life than your prayers do. You must hang on to faith. Takes a strong woman to stand in a gap and bridge the span until a child reaches the other side of adulthood. Someone wrote this. It's entitled, The Meanest Mother. Maybe you've heard it. They said, we had the meanest mother in the whole world. Anybody ever felt like that? My mom's just mean. She's five foot tall, but man, I, she'd whip me in a heartbeat when I step out of line. While other kids ate candy for breakfast, we had to have cereal and eggs and toast. Other kids were drinking Pepsi and a Twinkie for lunch, and my mom made me eat sandwiches. You can guess our mother fixed us a dinner that was different from other kids, too. 
Mother insisted on knowing where we were at at all times. You would think we were convicts in a prison. She had to know who our friends were and what we were doing with them. And she insisted that if we said that we would be gone for an hour, that we would be gone for an hour or less. Anybody's mom like that? We were ashamed to admit it, but she had the nerve to break the child labor laws by making us work. We had to wash dishes, make beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floors, do laundry, all sorts of cruel jobs. I think she would lie awake at night thinking of more things for us to do. She always insisted on us telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. By the time we were teenagers, she could read our minds. Then life was really tough. Mother wouldn't let our friends just honk the horn when they drove up. They had to come to the door so she could meet them. She wanted to know who they were. While everyone else could date when they were 12 or 13, we had to wait until we were at least 16. Because of our mother, we missed out on a lot of things that other kids experienced. None of us ever shoplifted. None of us ever got caught vandalizing others' property or ever arrested for any crime. It was all her fault. We never got drunk, took up smoking, never stayed out all night or a million other things that other kids did. Sundays were reserved for church and we never missed once. We knew better than to ask to spend the night with a friend on Saturdays. Now that we've left home, we're all God-fearing, educated, honest adults. We're doing our best to be mean parents, just like mom was. (laughs) I think that's what's wrong with the world today. It just doesn't have enough mean moms anymore. Can somebody say amen to that? Mom, do yourself a favor. Don't try to be your child's best friend. Try to be your child's mother. Try to be your child's example. Don't just tell them what to do. Show them what to do. Don't just tell them they need to pray. Show them how to pray. Don't just tell them church is important. Take them to church and show them how to worship God. Walk with God. Show your children how a woman of worth ought to live their life for Jesus Christ. But know this, a mother of faith won't always be the most popular in social circles. Amen. You may not be appreciated at the time that you're really being the best mother that you could be because your children may not understand exactly why you're telling them no or why you're forcing them to do something that they ought to be doing. But I promise you this, if you'll just hold the course, if you'll just stay with it, if you'll just stick in there, there'll come a time when that child will no longer be a child anymore. It won't think like a child anymore and it will get to the place where it will turn around and realize that they want to be just like you because they understand the value that they had in a mother who was full of faith it took me a lot of years to understand how important the role was that my mother played in my life. A few years when I was not the best kid on the planet. And don't act like I'm the only one here that's been like that. (laughs) 
most of us, quite a few of us, go through times where we test the strength and the endurance of our parents, especially our mom, because dad's at work a lot. My mom was there, and I tried to test her strength and her resilience as a mother. And I always found out that she had more strength than I gave her credit for, that she was stronger than I realized that she was. This Shunammite woman had no idea what she was going to go through. She didn't realize that she was going to be a woman of faith till the day come that tragedy struck. And when that day came, she made decisions that affected the entire family in a positive way. She said, get the man of God here. There's nothing wrong with having outside sources. Nothing wrong with self-help books. Nothing wrong with reaching out. But, but don't ever get to the place where other things outside of the voice of God in your life have more influence on how you raise your child than the voice of God does. What made her great was the fact that she believed in God that His promise would not fail her. Because faith gets God's attention. Without it, it's impossible to please God. She was a woman of great faith. Don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers. Just because the Bible calls the woman the weaker vessel doesn't mean that she is weaker spiritually. She may not be able to out-arm wrestle her husband. But God did not design the mother to be the father. God designed the mother to be the mother because God knew what we would need. He knew that we needed the other side. He knew that we needed to feel compassion and be taught compassion. He knew that nobody could pray the prayers like a mother can kneel down and pray the prayers over her children. It was many times, many a night, that my mother and I'd be asleep in my bed and come home from who knows what, laying there, and my mother would stand there frustrated, possibly angry with me, disappointed with the way I was living, but she would not give up because she would stand at my bed, at the end of my bed as I lay there asleep, and she would pray over me, God, don't let him be lost, God, don't let him, don't let him die like this, God, keep your hand upon him, he may not be serving you right now, but God, don't, don't forget who he is, hear the prayers of a praying mother, and do you know what, it didn't happen overnight, but there came a day when my mom's prayers were effective something began to tug at my heart something began to pull at me and I found myself down at an altar praying and God received me and I believe it was in great part due to the prayers of a praying mother the year was 1820 and a man by the name of Peter Richley found himself in a place where he was very grateful. He had survived one of the strangest and most harrowing events known to mankind. 
The ship that he had been traveling on sank. I can only imagine what that would be like to have a ship go down. You be on it. He was, however, rescued by another ship. For whatever reason, some strange twist of circumstance, that ship sank as well. This is believed to be a true story. It's actually told by one of my favorite authors, Louis L'Amour. He does a lot of fictional writing, but he was a master storyteller. This story has been verified, to my knowledge, to be true. The second ship picked him up, and Mr. Richley was on that ship, but that ship sank as well. And he didn't drown, didn't go down with that ship either. A third ship comes along, picks him up, rescues him, but that ship sinks too. By this point, I'm thinking, I ain't letting him on the fourth ship. <laughs> Two more times, a fourth ship rescues him, it goes down, a fifth ship rescues him and picks him up. On that fifth ship, it was an ocean liner that happened to be on the same course that answered the call for help. And they rescued Richley out of the waters. The name of the ship, the ocean liner, was the city of Leeds. It was named after its British city of origin. Bound from England to Australia. The ship's doctor took Richley down into the hold and gave him a once-over, found out that he was relatively okay. But then that's where the story gets a little bit stranger yet in the fact that as if he hadn't already survived four ships going down and been rescued by a fifth. By this point, he, he was already thinking, there's a purpose. God has a purpose for me. God's not going to let me drown. For whatever reason, God's hand is upon me. He, he felt like there was a divine providence on his life. And the doctor looked at him and he said, listen, he said, I have a, a strange request I'm going to ask uh, of you. He said, there is a lady on board passage of this ship headed to Australia. And she's been looking for her son who disappeared years ago. Uh, sir, she's dying. She's not going to live very much longer. And she knows everybody else that is on this ship. And so I was wondering, would it be too much to ask of you? Would you mind going in and pretending to be this woman's son so that she can die at peace? She's delirious. She has a high fever. And so he, he kind of reluctantly agreed to it. But he said, all right, we'll do this. And, and, and uh, he walked into the room and uh, looked at this silver-haired, frail woman laying on a small bed as he entered into the cabin of that ship. Uh, she was obviously suffering from a very high fever, delirious as she was crying out, Please, God, please, God, let me see my son before I die. I must see my son. The doctor said she'd been saying this the entire trip. She'd just been praying out to God to see her son that she'd not seen in years. Richly stood there. The doctor kind of nursed him forward just a little bit. Go on up closer. Let her see you. We want to make sure that in case she draws her last breath that she will at least felt like 
that she has seen her son and can die in peace. But the story goes that Peter Richley stood next to that bed and tears began to roll down his face and he collapsed to his knees beside the bed because lying there on that bed was the reason that God had kept him alive through four other sinking ships. Here was the lifeline that had kept him from drowning those other times. For it wasn't just any silver-haired old lady with a high fever lying on that bed, but it was his mother, Sarah Richley, who had prayed for ten years to be reconciled to her son, Peter. The ship's doctor stood in amazement. The young man fell down beside the bed. He put his arms around his sickly mother. And he said, it's okay, Mom, I'm here. It's Peter. It's all right. I found you. The story goes that within a few days, the fever actually subsided. His mother awakened from her delirium to find an answered prayer seated on the edge of her bed. Never, never, never underestimate the power of a praying mother. Would you stand with me today? There are so many things that could be said. I can only imagine where I might be today had it not been for a mother who refused to give up on the promise. The Shunammites said, go get me the man of God. They saw her coming from a long way off. He sent Gehazi, his servant, out to meet her. He says, everything okay? You know what she said? She didn't say, tell Elisha to come quick. My son's died. The promise that you give me, I told you up front, don't mess with me. Because that's what, you read the story yourself. When, when he said, hey, would you like to have a child? She's like, hey, don't even go there. This is too touchy of a subject. We, all, we know too well, even here in our midst, in this place today, that there are some ladies here who would have loved to have a child. And, and it's not an easy thing. Because the spirit of the mother is within them heart of his mother is within him. She says, everything's fine. Think of the faith that it took. We know she was in a hurry because she told her servant. She said, get the donkeys ready. Saddle them up. She said, don't slow down unless I tell you to. Biblical terminology, she was saying, step on the gas. Don't hit the brakes at all unless I tell you to. Get me to the man of God. But when she got to him, Gehazi runs out. She says, he said, is everything okay? She said, all is well. What about your husband, your son? 
Elisha has Gehazi run ahead, put his staff up on the boy. When he gets there, nothing's changed. Sometimes your first prayer, your first plan of attack, your first method may not do the trick. Don't give up. Some of you have children that may not be serving God today. Don't stop praying, Mom. Don't give up on them. So you've tried one thing and it hasn't seemed to work. God's got more than one trick up his sleeve. <coughs> Elisha walks through the door. He goes up into the room with the boy. He goes through this routine that would seem very, very odd to any of us. But I don't care if it was me. I wouldn't care what you did. I don't care if you had me paint myself purple and stand on my head. I would do whatever it would take see my child revived. The story ends rather abruptly. The child sneezes seven times. The mom comes in the room. Elisha backs out. Story over. It's a done deal. Leaving us with the feeling that everything is going to be okay. Maybe you've prayed and God's given you a promise, but it feels like the promise has slipped right through your hands. Maybe, maybe you prayed for a child and that child, you know, you saw, you saw a glimmer of hope, but then all of a sudden things just fell apart again. Maybe it seems like an impossible thing that your child would ever serve God, or love God, or know God again. Let me tell you, don't ever give up on God. faith of a mother the world needs you start on your knees set your boundaries step back and evaluate things don't you know that that Shunammite lady was glad that she had honored God and the man of God when the day came for her to rely upon them set your life up where God is first and foremost build a place for him in your home if your family time is centered around media and that's all it's ever centered around if your family time is centered around even family game night those are all good things but you've got to build a place for God in your home a place for him to stay place for him to dwell then you just keep loving even when you're misunderstood keep loving when you're ignored and feel unappreciated today I thank every mother and even beyond mothers every woman of faith in this room I want the rest of us to understand the power and the impact that you've had. Fight for your families. Fight for your children. And the way that you fight is on your knees. Would you bow your heads with me today? I feel an anointing in this place right now. I know we're going to move on. We're going to dismiss in just a matter of minutes here been standing for a few minutes now 
here's what I feel to do. If your husband is next to you, your children are next to you, I'd like for your family to gather in and just take you by the hand, put their hand on your shoulder, whatever. And I want us to pray for all the women. And if, if you're a woman, maybe you're not a mother in this place. That's okay. I, I value you. I'm talking to all, all women now. If your husband is here, you've got somebody around you, just take, take your wife by the hand. Take your mom by the hand. I want us to pray for every mother that's in here. We're going to sing this song and we'll move on. But I just feel to put a covering because you are under attack, ladies. The devil wants to destroy you because he understands the power, the anointing that is upon you. The role that you play cannot be replaced by anything else. There is nothing that can be purchased. There's nothing that can replace it. There's only... There, it's, it's only you. The job is so critical. And with that comes great responsibility. So we're going to pray right now that God would uphold every lady in this place. Why don't we pray right now in Jesus' name. Precious Savior, we thank you today, God. Lord, for the example. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.